Hello, friends interested in motos. <laughs> Welcome to the latest episode of Motos and Friends. I am Arthur Coldwells. This week, we step it up a bit in the horsepower stakes and take a look at Aprilia's new Tuono for 2022. Nick DeSena had a chance to ride both models around the roads of Southern California. They're a little different from each other for 2022, and the choice to refocus one of the Tuonos is an interesting one. In the second segment, I chat with an old friend of mine, Dave Donald. He's been a friend of mine for, yikes, around 20 years, and he's been riding for way longer than that. Dave has always been good for a laugh, and in this episode, he doesn't disappoint. So, settle in, check out the chats, and please send us your feedback if you feel like it. I hope you enjoy this episode. So, I gather we're going to be talking about the new Tuono, the original hooligan bike. The, uh, what, were your, what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, you know, we, we rode the 2021 Aprilia Tuono V4 and Tuono V4 factory, and it's sort of an important transition for the Tuono name because instead of just having a lower spec bike and an up spec model for their hyper naked line the two models actually do two different things now um you know you have a bike that is a little bit more touring focused and then you have the traditional naked full tilt uh you know sport and sport canyon riding and racetrack you know naked bike interesting so I've got to be honest with you, I would never have put Tuono and Touring in the same sentence. So, so, so I'm going to be interested to hear about that. It almost sounds a little bit like what KTM did, did to the Super Duke a few years ago when they came up with the, with the GT. Is, is, is it sort of in a similar sort of vein to that? They're like, you know, we've got a bunch of people sport touring on this thing. We might as well help them out a bit. Yeah, it's 100% in that direction. Um, if you think about the evolution of the Super Duke R and then into the GT, it is essentially the Super Duke R with bags, a few modifications to it to make it a little bit more sport touring oriented. And you're not really missing out on a whole lot of um, the GT sportiness. This, I would say, is a less of a step away in terms of the overall changes between the models, but the riding experience is um, undoubtedly different between the two. Uh, you're still getting, I would say, if I had to put a number on it, you're still getting 98% of the traditional Tuono hyper naked experience. I mean, you still get the amazing chassis, you know, the brilliant V4 motor. The crucial difference is, is that you have a little bit more wind protection, uh, luggage capabilities that are baked into the bike, and then a slightly more comfortable seat and a little bit different riding position. I mean, it's not this stark contrast, but it's just enough to elevate the handlebars a hair, keep you up in a little bit more kind of upright riding position that actually does change how you influence the bike and uh, just your, your whole approach to it. And, and softer suspension, presumably, or slightly. Yeah, you know, that, that was one of the other things too. Um, softer, it would really depend because if you take the the now base model 20 v4 which is the quote-unquote touring model it comes with standard conventional sax suspension which all of the rr models whether it's the rsv4 the 20s have come with previously 
Now the factory version comes with um, all-in suspension that is semi-active, which allows damping to be adjusted automatically as you're riding along. And so you have three uh, semi-active modes there and then you have manual modes as well. Um, and it, it's tough to do a, a, you know, is one stiffer than the other because you can radically change the feel of the factory just with a couple clicks of the button. And, um, you know, just it, that's one of the main things is where when you're riding the, the V4 Tuono, the conventional sack suspension, I would rate it as good to great suspension. I mean, it's, it's very good stuff. And then you jump on the Olins with its semi-active and there's, it's just nothing short of excellent in terms of how it reacts to compression bumps and things like that on the roadway. Um, so regardless of what bike you're on, you're gonna be pretty well taken care of uh, in that regard. Because, you know, again, you, you have the, the typical experience of the Tuono, which is uh, an incredibly stable um, planted chassis, whether you're on the brakes or accelerating, and it handles very, very well. Those things translate to both models perfectly. The difference between the two is just, uh, I would say, the, the, the sort of riding experience and, and um, sort of refinement quality between the two. It's like going to a, uh, an extremely high-end restaurant and then also going to a Michelin star within the same couple hours. It's still going to be a good experience, so don't even worry about that. Um, just that the semi-active suspension really does take it up a notch. All right. I always found the Tuono. I mean, I loved it. Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. Completely loved the bike. But um, right from, from way back when it first came out. But it, you know, when people talk to me about it, you know, and they say, oh, you know, should, should I get a Tuono? I need to let them know. It's a pretty committed bike. If you ride that thing slowly and tentatively, you're probably not going to enjoy it or yeah well i mean what, what are your thoughts on that yeah that that is definitely i would say a, a warning that you should give to anyone that's looking at bikes in this class so when i say about this class specifically not just the greater naked bike class i mean things like the ducati street fighter v4 your ktm super ducars bmw s 1000 rs triumph speed triple 1200 rs's things that are performance oriented in nature you need to kind of have that personality to get along with the performance of the engine, the sportiness of the chassis, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a pretty, pretty fair warning. Yeah, but in terms of upright bikes, I mean, when we did a direct comparison between a Tuono and an MT-10, the MT-10 was just that little bit softer and a little bit easier to ride on the street. Now, you know, as soon as you go to the track, they sort of flip around. So the Tuono definitely has that highly committed edge. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. That even I didn't find even quite that so much on the, on the Super Ducar. I mean, you know, the Super Ducar is a little bit more of an all-rounder. No, I, I, I would agree with that. Um, Without that. The, the segment overall, you know, to kind of go back to that statement about the other bikes is they are in a performance realm. The Tuono really does uh, take its RSV4 DNA and wear it on its sleeve for sure. There's no doubt about that. So as you said before, you know, on the street, the Aprilia has always been a bit more of a committed machine, whereas things like the MT-10, some of the Japanese models, may, maybe you could argue that they're a little bit more suitable for the street. And I don't think anyone would really disagree. When you take it, take it to the track, that's where the Tuono really can be flexed. Um, 
in this case, I would say over the years, the 2.0 has sort of been able to be refined and to the point where you can ride it at a good clip on the street and be totally comfortable. Whereas, um, you know, previous iterations, like say, if you go back to all the way to like the 15, it felt a little bit rough on the bottom end, unless you're really hammering and, you know, it just always wanted to push you on. Now, the thing is the engine always wants to push you on regardless because you're dealing with 175 horsepower and 89 foot pounds of torque. And um, it is still the same 1077 CC 65 degree V4 uh, V4 engine that came out in 15. The only difference is this year is that they've done a slight modification to the uh, roller tappets and lightens them up a little bit. And that's allowed uh, Aprilia engineers to extract another 300 revs out of the engine, bringing the red line up to uh, 12,800 RPM. Wow. Now really for our street ride, that's not something I can comment on with any authority. That's the type of neck ringing that you'd only do at a racetrack. <clears throat> but the, there are a couple other internal changes that they didn't elaborate too much on. But the main thing this year and a per Euro five requirements is that it has the new exhaust all off the RSV4. So you get the much more attractive uh, exhaust silencer and all of the catalytic stuff that comes with that. And it's still hitting its numbers um, as far as horsepower. So you have 175 horsepower and 89 foot pounds of torque. And, you know, talking about how committed it is, you know, I, I think that the Tuono can live a bit of a, you know, a docile life if need be. You can ride it slow and have a good time. Although the Tuono does want to run fast. That's, that's what it, <laughs> not that it likes doing it. It's just the fact that you will like doing that. So um, <laughs> it, it's just a, okay. a very good motor overall. Okay. So presumably it has, you know, the, the fairly standard uh, sort of Aprilia electronics with the different riding modes. And if you put it into a softer riding mode, you can still enjoy it in, you know, around town and in, in an urban environment. Yeah. And that's something that they've taken another step towards this year as well. So you have um, for the street side, because now Aprilia electronics have six riding modes total um, or the RSV4 and the, the Tuono, I should say. They have six riding modes total of the street modes that we sampled. You have sport, tour, and then a customizable user mode. So you can do essentially whatever you want. Um, and the differences between the street and the tour modes are pretty significant. I mean, it softens the throttle response to where it still has a good connection to the rear wheel. It's just a lot more tame than previous iterations of the bike. And then sport mode is as sporty as you'd ever expect a Tuono to be. Um, so tour, tour mode really came in use or came, uh, I, I felt was, was good use when I was on the standard V4, which has the bags, accessory bags, touring um, accessories like extra wind protection, comfier seat, and then just the, the more upright riding position. That seemed to really gel with that bike's personality and you get all of the power that you would because it is the same engine, same chassis, swing arm, et cetera, et cetera. Right. It's just, it's that just kind of smoothing that edge off a little bit and, and just making it a little bit more, you know, the, the gentleman's super naked, if you will. So. Right. 
Right. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's when you're riding around at, at a sort of street legal speeds in a, in a not necessarily an urban environment, but when you're at very small, subtle throttle openings, it just gets fatiguing if you've got a bike that's too jerky um, at those kind of throttle openings. Exactly. I, I've never really felt that the I always felt that Tuono had a good throttle connection. I always felt it was actually pretty smooth fueling. But if you get these really aggressive, you know, maps on them um, in this sport mode, it's just it's too much. And it just becomes too much when you're just poodling around town or just kind of on the way to the canyons for, for your ride or, or what have you. But but, you know, when you've got the big bottle openings on the track, then that's great. Yeah, exactly. And think back to, you know, mid 2000s fuel injection and the introduction of ride modes and how jerky a lot of those were initially. So this is not like that at all. Aprilia has really done a fine job with the same way that Triumph and Ducati have done really good jobs with making that initial throttle application nice and smooth, regardless of the, the map that you're in. So when I was on the factory and running the sport mode predominantly, those kind of minute throttle op openings, totally controllable, especially when you're on the edge of the tire and you might be in a long canyon sweeper where you do have to be cognizant of the fact that there might be debris or something else or right you know someone deciding that they just need to do a u-turn in a blind corner so um, <laughs> I, I i feel like aprilia has really nailed the the throttle response on on their bikes and the fueling um which is impressive given you know that it is uh, the engine um from 15 and you know they're passing euro five which is the bar that really um, kind of causes a lot of fueling issues and and flat spots and engines and things that we'll mention with other bikes. And they and they've completely avoided that. That's that is impressive. Absolutely, uh, they avoided it on the new RSV4, and they've avoided it on this. And you know, it's something that Aprilia, Ducati, um, KTM brands, European brands tend to do a much better job with that in in my experience, but Aprilia and specifically talking about the 200 V4 in factory. Excellent. Top, top and bottom. Good. Okay. So wh whereabouts were you riding these, these bikes in what sort of environment? I mean, presumably it wasn't on the track. No, no, we did no track riding. Um, so we couldn't test one or two of the new features, you know, to its fullest potential, but you know, we did sporty enough riding to get more than a taste. We just did uh, Angeles Crest highway and uh, Angeles Crest, so Southern California. Uh, listeners will be more than familiar with those roads, and some other roads in that area that I always forget the names of. So pretty high-speed canyons, and um, not a lot of tight and twisty stuff. Some, but pretty sparing in comparison to how sort of high-speed some of those areas can be. Cool, cool. And in terms of sort of you know chassis, I mean, you know, you talked about the suspension a minute ago. What what were your thoughts on that? So, uh, you know the the chassis flavors that we've experienced since 15, essentially, you know, the, the quintessential Tuono and RSV4 experience is just stability, control, front end feel, you know, uh, being able to get the power down. These are all things that are still very prevalent in the Tuonos, whether you're talking about the V4 or the factory model. Um, the big change in terms of chassis for this year is that it has a new swing arm all out of the RSV4 because wherever the RSV goes, the Tuono follows. And that has increased swing arm stiffness at the axle, specifically 
a claimed 48%. They've also saved roughly 600 grams uh, due to a new construction style. But realistically, that's just given the chassis a little bit more stiffness. Is that something that I can say I really felt and remembered between the last time I reviewed a Tuono, which is in 19 to now? No, but what I can say is that it, it has all of those earmarks of a Tuono for me. So great handling, great stability, planted front ends that you can trust on the brakes and something that you will have no worry about getting on the gas with and really chewing up some tires with. And, and what suspension does the, does the factory version have? So the factory has electronic all-in suspension, so semi-adjustable for damping, and it uses the latest and greatest EC or, or smart EC 2.0 uh, ECU to manage all of that. And you know, as we mentioned earlier, you have three automatic modes and then three manual modes, so you could turn it into conventional suspension. Um, but realistically, that that electronic suspension on the road is just incredible. It's where electronic suspension really pays dividends for me is on the street because you're always facing new conditions. You know, it's not like a racetrack where you can plan for X, Y, and Z corner. Um, the road is, uh, you know, an ever-changing environment, even from weekend to weekend, you know, when you're talking about debris or people in the, you know, that live in areas of, of the country that actually get weather, you know, things are different every riding season. So can you, can you change the settings on the fly? So if, if all of a sudden you're, you know, you're up at a higher elevation and the uh, road changes. Yeah, I mean, not 100% on the fly. I would have to fact check that. I always did it by pulling off to the side, going into the main um, user profile, and then just switching from A1, 2, and 3. So A, A1 is dedicated for track use. A is the sport suspension setting, essentially, and A3 is the touring setting. And... Again, those are all pretty different from one another. I settled on A2, you know, damped nice and stiff enough for me without becoming overbearing, whereas A1 is very clearly designed for the racetrack. <laughs> and then A3, I think if you just wanted to have a comfortable ride on the way home, especially on the freeway, that would be the mode to, to go to if you're on the factory. Um, and, you know, the SAC suspension, if we talk about the base model from from the showroom floor, like we had them, I would say it was set up in between A2 and A3. So um, again, fully adjustable stuff so you can tune it to your liking. It's just that the fact that you can change the damping, it's just a click of a button and there's, it's just such ease of use right there. So uh, electronic suspension is something that I'm a big proponent of, especially on street bikes. So the, so the touring model or the, the plain RSV, the plain Tuono comes with electronic suspension as well. It's just electronic sacks. Uh, no, no, no. It's conventional sacks on the base model. Oh, it's conventional. It's conventional sack suspension. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. But but so in order, but so to change the settings on it, you have to you know click it click it manually with you know screwdrivers and you know the usual stuff. Yeah. You have to break out the old school Allen keys and you know do do the thing we've done for the entire right history of motorcycling. <laughs> but. <laughs> Okay, sorry, I misunderstood. I thought it was electronic on both, but okay. So the so the factory has the electronic Oleans and the the, the touring plane to Ono has the sacks. Correct. Just standard suspension. Correct. Yeah. Okay. It's kind of interesting because we, you know, in this conversation, we're referring to the base model to Ono as the touring model because it does have some touring focused elements to it. 
but realistically it is a factory to Uno <laughs> in terms of every quality and personality trait with a few you know street oriented things that do make it noticeably more more comfortable you have more wind protection um you sit a little bit more upright you have a little bit cushier seat and then passenger seat as well and then you have all the luggage uh, accessory options and that's what sets the two apart you know is it a world of difference it's not a stark contrast but there is a difference. So the factory does not come with 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 a passenger seat accommodations. The factory does have passenger pegs on it. I think they give you the seat when you buy it. Okay. But the um, the V four, the standard V four, has a slightly different seat setup to where it has a a pretty noticeable passenger seat section, and they've also taken another consideration in for the passenger where the passenger foot pegs are slightly lower. So that does create one little kind of a minor niggle in the sense that the heel of my boots would often hit the passenger foot peg brace. It wasn't enough to like really cause any discomfort or prevent me from moving around on the bike as I'd liked, but it's just one little thing that I noticed. And on the factory, because the passenger foot pegs aren't lowered, it, um, it never happened. But uh, yeah, if you do plan on carrying a passenger, the standard V4 is probably the way to go. Interesting. Okay. Um, is the is the traction control and the other electronics linked into the rider modes, or are they a, a separate function? When you were talking about the electronic suspension on the factory, is that's that's a separate issue to traction control and all the other things. So no rider modes per se. Correct. So there are no all-encompassing rider modes overall. You can adjust everything individually if you use one of the preset rider modes it will adjust things in accordance with that mode. So say sport, that is the least restrictive and most aggressive throttle map and things like that. Least aggressive in terms of uh, traction control and cornering ABS and so on and so forth. If you go to tour, it cranks things up and calms things down. Um, but uh, yeah, you can adjust things individually if you need to. So you can, uh, use the little paddle shifter to adjust TC on the fly as well. That's still one of the most you know prominent features of the the APRC package, I'll say. But yeah, it's it's the the APRC package as we've known it for a number of years with the quick shifter, auto blipper, cornering ABS, lean angle sense of traction control, cruise control, wheelie control, yada yada yada. It's it's all the same. Yeah, brilliant. We're always a market leader with that. I felt it was probably because they developed that stuff for World, World Superbike way back then, couldn't afford to develop it for the street. So they just essentially took their World Superbike electronics and slapped them on the street bike. Yeah. And of course, the public, you know, won with that. I'm like, this is awesome. But uh, yeah, they, they actually have that stuff really dialed in well. So have they saved any weight or any of that kind of stuff? Or is it still basically the same bike in that respect? Basically the same, same weight. Uh, in that respect, I, they saved a little bit of weight with the swing arm, but uh, no, it's pretty much the same. Okay. Um, brakes all the same. I mean, so all the running gear, brakes, wheels, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So brakes are, are the same. They're still using Brembo M50s. Um, you know, that's the type of type of stuff that was on super bikes just one, one generation ago. It's the gold and, standard. It really is. Yeah. And you get great feel, great power nothing to complain about there that's and that's on both models correct so they haven't changed the brakes. 
Okay. Correct. Uh, the only difference between uh, gearing difference, if we're going to get into like the fine finest minutia, is that the V4, the Tuono V4 standard model, is geared slightly longer, so they went down two teeth in the rear, just to again take that that edginess off. Um, and it's just you know the most minute of sanding of that edge, still quite sharp. Right. You know, that should improve fuel economy just a hair. Um, it's still very thirsty as it's always been. And as any V4 that is a thousand plus CC will ever be. Yeah. But there's a fuel gauge now. So. Uh, okay. All right. Got to give them that. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure I know of anyone that would ever have bought a Tuono for its fuel economy. But, you know. No. Hey. <laughs> okay. So it sounds like you really, you liked it. I think it's sort of a given that the factory is going to be an absolutely spectacular bike. I don't want to be too flip about that, but but we all know the factory is just a spectacular motorcycle, the factory Tuono. But it sounds as though the standard uh, Tuono with this slight touring edge is really impressive too. It sounds like they've they've actually addressed something quite interesting there. Yeah, because I think they've they've addressed a couple things where they looked at what Tuono buyers were doing and. I've ridden Tuono factories up to Laguna Seca during race weekends and did that, you know, for World Superbike at, at least two or three times now. And it always made a bike that was very comfortable on the street, insanely sporty, obviously, but you could slap some, you know, tie down luggage on it or wear a backpack and you'd be good to go. And I was cool with it. Now with the standard V4 model, there's a little bit more touring capability already baked in and for the rider that is going to be street focused then they're golden because they want that 210 flavor they obviously want the engine and chassis but they want a little bit more utility out of it too so that makes perfect sense and it, and i would still take that bike to the racetrack it's just the factory is going to have a little bit more you know racetrack focus and that's kind of the bottom line there you know, kind of the, the last thing, and we already touched on a little bit, is with the, the aesthetics of it, they've brought everything in line. So now the RSV, the RS660, 260 et cetera, et cetera, all those bikes now have the new styling and uh, that kind of flared eyebrow look with the DRL headlights. And of course, this has the cornering headlights and self-canceling blinkers. And then with that is the revised fuel tank that's just a little bit slimmer. So while these bikes do have the same seat height, the bike actually felt just, just a hair narrower at the waist. Like I could get my boots on the ground just a little bit easier these days. Um, so it feels just a bit sl more slimmed down. Um, and that goes for both bikes because obviously they share all the main components. Nice. But yeah, it's, the Tuono has always been, you know, a winner in terms of, the class you know you just it's at the top of the pack you just pick your flavor at this point whether it's v twin of the the super duke or v4 of the aprilia or v4 of the ducati or or you know inline four of the the bmw yeah it's it it is a good bike awesome do you know um what the pricing is on it i mean is or I, actually i'm interested in the price differential between the two of them so the price difference is basically forty five hundred dollars because you have the Standard 210 V4 coming in at 16,000 or 15,999. And then you have the 210 factory with the electronic suspension, et cetera, et cetera, coming in at 19,499. Okay, that's pretty significant. So there is a difference between the two and that 
that's essentially the same thing that we saw between the RSV4 and the RSV4 factory earlier this year. You know, one has the conventional SAC suspension and the other has the electronic suspension with a few other little doodads. Right. Okay. And presumably all the colors and everything are all the same. It's all, uh, you know, they've, they've stuck within kind of their, their wheelhouse of colors, the black and reds, silver and silver and blacks, you know, Aprilia colors that you generally associate with a brand. I, I wouldn't say that they've really gone outside the box like they have with the RS660 with the um, gold liveries and the, the yeah. purple and reds and stuff like this this year. Um, and the purple and purple and red is, is also available on the RSV4, but uh, no, it's pretty par for the course. Okay. Sounds like you really enjoyed, um, enjoyed both of them for slightly different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hundred percent. The only knock that I have at the bike is, um, well, you know, it's a big V4 engine and it produces a good amount of heat, which I think you can recall with other 2.0s that you've ridden. Sure. You know, if you get stuck in traffic, you will feel it. The one benefit um, that they have delivered this year is that with the new RSV and RS660 inspired plastics, they've allowed that that sort of integrated aerodynamic feature to help push air away from the rider. So instead of getting blasted with hot air, hot air as you would before, if you're in low speed traffic, you know, kind of on the inside of your thighs, now that that air is directed much lower. So you still feel it if you're, you know, putting along, but uh, once you're moving, you really, really don't get much unless you keep your feet really tight to the bike and then you'll get some of that radiant heat. But what can you do with 175 horsepower? You know, it's a, <laughs> Yeah, for sure. It's it's more of a an observation about the class overall than the bike specifically. But no, I mean to sum up the bike, if you liked the the nineteen two uh, factory and RR, then you're not going to be disappointed in this. It's the same great flavors with a little bit extra kick, you know, in in some of those areas. Um, and they've just refined the package overall. So things like the quick shifters work a little bit better. You know, they have a little bit more differentiation between the ride modes. That suspension is incredible. The chassis is just as good as it was before. And I really want to put the swing arm to the test at the racetrack. And then for the guys that really, you know, the racetrack isn't, isn't their thing. They might get out there once or twice a year at best. Then they're going to have the, the 210 V4 with all of the touring oriented features, great wind protection, luggage options, and, you know, things like that. So. I think Aprilia has done a really cool move and we'll see how it goes from here and you know how sales are. But uh, yeah, this is an exciting time for the two on it, we'll say. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, appreciate your thoughts and uh, an insight into it. Um, I guess I'll talk to you soon. Cool. Take care. All right. Thanks. Well, as promised in this second segment, I chat with an old friend of mine, Dave Donald. At one point, we were colleagues, and certainly we've been friends for around mm, 20 years. He's been riding for way longer than that. Dave has always been good for a laugh, and in this episode, he doesn't disappoint. So, I mean, for as long as we've known each other, yes, and I've, I've never been riding with you. I'm not even sure what motorcycle you ride, other than it's a big Harley. Yes. So... But but you, I do understand you do an awful lot of touring and mm -hmm. and, and and riding around. 
Yes, we do. Yes, we do and have been for years. I I uh, was married about 10 years ago, just over 10 years ago. And about the year before that, I got a uh, Road King, a 2010 Road King, brand spanking new and whatnot. And uh, and I did, uh, you know, I, I, I'd gotten to the age where the need for speed had pretty much gone away. And I was really interested in comfort. I, I, I can't wait until I reach that point. Yes, exactly. good luck. That's right. Um, I, I reached my, my basic needs were comfort and scenery. That's what I wanted, you know? So, so I wanted long sweeping curves. I wanted to be able to, you know, I, we were living at the time we were living in like Rancho Cucamonga. So right. we had the entire uh, uh, rim of the world uh, highway up there that we could cruise oh, on through beautiful, Arrowhead beautiful. and Big Bear and whatnot. So we did a lot of that. I mean, day rides like that were a big deal. But then we also would ride up to Utah and we'd go through all the national parks and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and this happened. My wife had never ridden on a motorcycle. Her ex-husband had taken her for a ride a couple of times and his entire intent was to terrify her. You know, if he could possibly terrify her, then that would be great. And so he'd get on a little, uh, you know, a little sport bike, uh, of course, with no backrest or anything. She'd be holding on for dear life. And, you know, he'd be lifting the front wheel off the ground. And, you know, it was like, no, I hate motorcycles. And so when she came over and saw this big, beautiful beast sitting there, uh, she went, you know, it's just not my yeah. thing. And I said, I tell you what, why don't we just do a quick ride up to like Mount Baldy, something like that. Right. And we climbed on and rode up to Mount Baldy and I made sure I said, now I want you to, to understand that if you ever have a problem and you're feeling uncomfortable, just squeeze me with your thighs, just bring your thighs in like this. I'll feel that. And I'll know that I'm, you know, I may not be going past my capabilities, but I may be going past your capabilities. So away we right. go. Right. And she, and if that doesn't work, just punch me in the nuts. Yeah, exactly. That'll work out great. <laughs> but it was funny because she, uh, we came back from that ride and it was about, I don't know, an hour and a half up and an hour and a half back and whatnot. And there were some real twisties in that road. There's a couple of 10 mile oh. curbs and stuff like that. You've got to be oh, yeah. careful of and whatnot. But anyway, yep. uh, we came back from that ride and she got off the bike and I thought, well, you know, here's, here's, this is going to be the tell right now. <laughs> either, either we will never ride together again, or she will have loved it. She's hooked. Fortunately, her response was, this was unbelievable. Um, on our current bike, I've got 36,000 miles on the current bike and 35,000 of it. She's been on the back. Yeah, that's awesome. For some reason, I've never figured it out that even unlike in a convertible car, somehow your senses are more alert on a motorcycle. Mm -hmm. So even though you're stuck behind a windshield, you you smell a blossom more. I mean, riding in the spring, you know, the pine forests, just the experience is so heightened. It is. It is. And, and even the thermoclines, you know, even going up into the mountains and feeling the temperature changes. Right. As you're going along and all, and all of a sudden you ride through this little valley and it all of a sudden gets quite warm. And then you come out the other side and it's cool again. I mean, oh. it is, you're right. It's a sensory experience. And, and you see this all the time. I mean, Harley riders have shirts all the time that say, if I have to explain it, you wouldn't get it. Right. And that's kind of the mentality. It's it, because, they, well, and I, I think we can both agree on the fact that a number of, uh, of groups have given motorcycles a bad name. You know, my, my parents are still looking at, you know, rebel without a cause thinking that, you know, yeah, that's, 
that's what he's doing. I'm I'm sure he's in that leather jacket with the little leather cap on, just raising hell. Right. And uh, and and frankly, and you know this from your experience. I know you didn't. You didn't ever think to like not wear your booze fighters jacket when you went to visit them. Did that's you? right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I have to be careful. Well, that, and and that's the other challenge is I've got I, my my standard outfit is the Harley shirt, shorts, and and shoes, or Harley shirt and jeans. And I wear those all the time. And you've got to be careful about the message that you send because you can get some pretty risque Harley shirts, you know? Um, and, right. and so I have to be careful when I'm looking at them, you know, the, when it, cause I buy shirts from every dealership I go to, when I go out and buy one of these shirts, I have to look at the back of it and say, okay, do I like it? And is there anything in here that would offend my mother? Right. And that's kind of the way I have to, I have to do So time, time to get rid of the, if you can read this, the bitch fell off shirt. The bitch fell. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Those kinds of things you have to be careful of. Well, I've got some nice ones. I've got one that uh, I really like, not a Harley shirt necessarily, but it says, uh, some days it's just not worth chewing through the leather straps, you know? <laughs> or, uh, or the other one, I like you. I'm going to kill you last. <laughs> Anyway, no, and and one of the things about a Harley um, that is interesting, and I don't, because I don't ride sport bikes, I mean, I did years ago because it was a matter of how fast can you go and how, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, and I had several sport bikes and and they were, uh, you know, they were mean and nasty. I never went down on a sport bike. Wow. I've been down on a couple of cruisers, not my Harley, but I've been down on a couple of cruisers. I've never been down on a sport bike and maybe because I was, I was more acutely aware of the performance parameters of the bike, um, yes. you know, because when you get on an 800 pound cruiser and you're, you're rolling around, it's not like you're going, Hmm, you know, you're not worried about the chicken strip on the back tire. That's not, uh, you know, where you're going with it. Yeah. But I, when I bought the Harley, the thing that was amazing to me was the brotherhood, the camaraderie that exists to go to a Harley dealership on a Saturday morning at nine o'clock, knowing full well that by 10 o'clock there will be, 10 other guys there and you'll all be riding someplace. Right. right. Um, the number of riding opportunities of uh, being able to, to join any number of groups where you just know that you've got five or six rides on a weekend that you can pick from. And I, we have loved that. I mean, I'm a pretty people person. So getting to meet new people, have conversations, and then of course, enjoy their favorite route or, you know, a ride that they really enjoy. It's that's, that's probably as much as enjoying the bike itself, it's all of that experience together. Do you typically ride on your own? I mean, obviously with Karen on the back, but do you, you tip, typically ride on your own or do you have like a sort of a group of friends and you, you do group rides? We have several groups of friends that we ride with, um, but we do a lot of riding on our own. I mean, that, that's one of the freedoms. You know, it was one of those things when we were talking about, oh, do we want to buy a ski boat? Do we want to buy, and we were talking about the various things that we would want to do. The Harley is in the garage. I mean, you put your helmet on and you turn the key and you're riding. You know, right. you don't have to go make this big preparation other than maybe loading up some food and water or whatever. There is no big thing that needs to be taken care of. The bike is always immaculately maintained. So I know that we go out and start the bike and ride off we're riding. Right. And, and there have been times, I mean, especially here, we, you know, we just got to Mesa, Arizona, um, about 10 months ago and we haven't explored nearly enough, but the point being is 
you start going in a direction and then go, well, I mean, the worst that's going to happen is we're going to get someplace out there and we're going to have to turn around and ride the same route back. Um, I much prefer a loop. You know, I much prefer, as I'm sure you do, it's nice to be able to, you know, different scenery all the way. I think everybody, everybody's kind of built like that. We never like to double back, do we? Just- no, not if we, not if we don't have to, but it's amazing to be able to ride and just go, I don't care where we go and I don't care where we stop. And it doesn't, I mean, that kind of freedom, uh, I enjoy that incredibly. Right. So. Yeah. And I mean, if you live in Mesa, you're, you're bordering onto the Tonto national forest, aren't you? And, exactly. And oh my goodness, that is absolutely spectacular. Well, yeah. And all the way out, obviously, I mean, being able to go up to Sedona and then Sedona through Oak Creek Canyon up to Flagstaff, right. um, you know, that kind of thing. Last time we rode out to Jerome, I don't know if you've ever been out there. That's a little mining town. Yes. Jerome, I, don't they have like a world famous ice cream shop there? They have an ice cream shop and a burger joint there, two of which are yeah, pretty incredible. But they've also got they've got a store there that specializes in kaleidoscopes. <laughs> And they've got kaleidoscopes from $5 to $15,000. And it is one of the coolest shops you've ever been to. Wow. Very, very cool. So wow. anyway, so but it's, it's, it's so much of that. But you hit it on the head, and that is the experiential factor of being exposed right. is astounding. I mean, it really is. There's, there's something about that. And even, even wearing a three-quarter helmet as opposed to putting on a full-face helmet, um, you know, big difference there. Um, we have not had, knock on wood, we have not had many close calls. Uh, I ride really defensively now. Like I said, yeah. it's not about yeah. speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I ride really defensively, but we have not had any real close calls. We have a couple of people, you know, move over on us and stuff like that, but we've always had an out. So, uh, Karen is so comfortable now on the bike that there are Saturdays where I wake up, she's already in leather going, come on, where are we going? You know, kind of thing. Right. So that's, that's part of the, the experience. And we really love that. Has she ever been tempted to, to ride on her own? I've tried, I've tried a three different occasions. We've been all the way to contract on buying her a bike <laughs> and she has, she's waved it off. And, and the typical response is, wait a minute, you mean I'd have to pay attention? <laughs> I mean, that's her, because she, that's, she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to do that. She wants to be able to look around and take pictures and talk on her phone if she wants. I mean, she is back there basking, you know, uh, she's the queen of all she surveys at that point in time. And there's just no, as far as she's concerned, there's, there's no reason to be on a bike and have to do all the work that she would have to do being on a bike. So anyway. Do you typically do sort of day rides or, or do you, maybe camp, I mean, carry stuff with you, or do you do hotels and- We don't camp, we do hotels. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we do hotels, we don't, uh, I, you know, her idea of roughing it is no room service, you know, so we have to be, <laughs> we have to be careful. That's not true, that's not true. She grew up camping, so, but we don't, we haven't done any of that. We haven't done any real camping. Uh, uh, and we go out to rallies and whatnot and, and spend time. That's one of the things that was interesting because once she had ridden on the bike, um, we weren't married yet. She was living in Arizona. I was living out in California. And, uh, of course the very next day she went out and bought, you know, chaps and her leather jacket and, you know, riding and gloves and everything. She was so excited to be able to join the lifestyle, right. um, at that point in time. And so going to rallies where, and you know, this, there are people who have never been to a rally and, and uh, again, the, the old stories from their mother come back right. again. And it's, oh, these are, these people are evil, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> uh, the great majority of the people we ride with are, you know, professionals and, you know, I've got architects and doctors right. and, uh, you know, salespeople and whatnot. 
Um, it's not like we pull, although, although we did have a very interesting experience. We were in Southern California and uh, we were in Riverside, but we went over to, uh, to on a morning because there was a ride that was going up to Ventura to the, uh, to a rally that was taking place up in the Harbor okay. up there. And so we went there and it turned out there were two groups. Uh, one group of, there was a hog owners group that was going South, going down to San Diego and then the other group. And so we're trying to find the right group that we want to be with. And we run into this Scotsman by the name of Bruce, who was so funny. Oh, where are you going? You know, kind of thing. And I said, well, we want to go to Ventura. We're good. Oh, you need to meet Ted. He's outside. Wait, you go to meet Ted. And so he takes me out, introduces me to this six foot four, 265 pound uh, Hispanic individual. <laughs> Ted Alva was his name. Um, and he was one of the Mayans on Sons of Anarchy. Oh, wow. So he was, you know, he was a, a regular on the show. Anyway, so we walk out and he takes his cigar out and he goes, oh, nice to meet you. And gives me a big hug. He's wearing a jeans T-shirt, a serape over the top of it and bunny slippers. <laughs> and, uh, and so he says, he says, you want to you want to ride with us? And I said, if, if we can, he goes, oh, no problem. And he's got this group of uh, it, it's a Hispanic biking group. And every one of their bikes was literally a work of art. I mean, everyone had custom filigree and engraving, amazing paint jobs, oh, wow. you know, incredible custom pipes. And, you know, it was just, it was like a bike show. And there were probably 15 of them. And I was going, wow, this is great. Now, Ted, on the other hand, had a Road King um, that looked fairly beat up. And the one the, uh, demarcation for his bike was that he made handlebars. And he had a pair of ape hangers that literally extended his arms complete. And he's 6'4", <laughs> extended his arms like this. I remember him getting pulled over by a cop one time. And, uh, and uh, the cop came up and said, you know, I hate to do this to you, but your handlebars are essentially illegal in our state. And he said, oh, they're illegal in every state. <laughs> it's not a problem. But anyway, so this is Ted. So we take off on this trip. And, and we're riding with the group and, you know, mom and pa, middle-aged, you know, white guys, we, did, we didn't really blend in, you know, <laughs> right. with the group at that point in time. But we get all the way up to Ventura. Now, remember I told you I lived in Camarillo, so I knew the Ventura Harbor area very well. Right. And we got off the freeway, off the 101, and we started to head down. And you need to make a right onto, I think it's Olivet or whatever, to get out to the harbor. Right. Or if you don't, you go all the way down to the other harbor that's, you know, down on the other end. and so we keep riding and I'm going, I think they missed it, but I'm not going to say anything. So, you know, we keep on riding, and we get down to the end and they all get off their bikes and they're all frustrated. <laughs> so they start, they start, um, you know, pulling out maps and they're looking around. And I said, well, guys, you, you need to go back and make a left over there on Olivet. And then it takes you into the Harbor. And Ted turns to me and says, Dave's leading out. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, it's Mr. And Mrs you know, middle-aged white people. Born to raise hay. Yeah, leaving, yeah, le leading the Vato Nation behind <laughs> us, you know, as we drive in. And so we drive in, it's a huge rally, tons of people everywhere, and we drive in and they, as we get to the, the place we drive in, got a bunch of bikes behind us, and the guy says, uh, yeah, he goes, parking actually is about almost a mile away. You're gonna have to go all the way down here and make a left and everything like this. And I'm going, oh, okay, well, you know, that's the way we'll do it. And then the guy all of a sudden says, wait a minute, is that Ted Alva? And I said, yeah. He goes, are you with him? I said, yeah, that's who we're riding with. He goes, excuse me, sir. <laughs> moves two cones out of the way and moves us. And we all go and park on the grass 
with all the show bikes that have come in to the event. So, right. yeah, you know, you never know who you're going to, who you're going to ride with. And, uh, unfortunately Ted passed away last year and he was, uh, oh. uh, he, he was just a, an absolute pleasure to ride with. And we made many, many rides with them. So anyway, it's so funny. There's you, you meet so many people like that. And I've met so many great people over the years through motorcycles and a lot of oh. uh, sort of non-motorcycle friends of mine will say, where did you meet him? And I'm like, eh, motorcycles. It is amazing <laughs> how many, how it just sort of brings everyone together. Like you say, the camaraderie is absolutely amazing. Have you ever, have you done anything to your, to your bikes or you just sort of buy them stock and leave them stock or is there? No, no, no. I would, uh, uh, the Road King was a, a perfect example because I got that stock. Um, and we put, uh, we put a big air kit on it. We put uh, pipes from the heads back at Advance and Heinz from the heads back. Um, and not straight pipes. I mean, I don't want them to be obnoxious, right. but it certainly want a nice rumble. I put a fuel pack on that so I could tune the bike to the pipes. And, uh, and then the majority of everything else was cosmetic. Um, we did uh, a nice hammock seat. I told you that, you know, comfort was a big deal. And then a big, a big backrest so that the lovely one who must be obeyed, you know, can sit on the back of that and just thoroughly enjoy herself. In fact, I have to be careful because we're, when we're coming home, it's always coming home from a ride. So the bike was, the bike was tricked out to make it as comfortable for her as possible. Um, give me, I mean, with pipes and the big air kit and the tuner, it picked up a few horsepower, but it's not, you know, I mean, that bike starts with like, it was a 96. So it, it starts with, uh, you know, 75 horsepower, 78 or whatever. And I think we might've taken it to 82 or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And they don't even talk about horsepower, you know, Harley, Harley always quotes torque. They never quote horsepower because they don't want to be embarrassed by the fact that a, 400 cc yamaha has more horsepower than them so anyway right. um but but that being the case um again absolute meticulous maintenance on the bike right as far as uh you know oil changes and services and all that kind of stuff i just never want to have to worry about it so yeah. but i have a good i i i, I think i talked to you about my new bike um which has just arrived you did mention that but tell me more about that yes that sounds Yes, that was a that was an interesting one. A gentleman who I had have worked with on and off for the better part of thirty years um, called me up and said, "Hey, we we actually in in the building we were in, we decorated the uh, entire lobby with Harley Davidson motorcycles, and so we had a, a custom Road King out there, and we had a Fat Boy, and we had a a Road Glide, and then we had this Bobber, and you know they were they were the just the decorations for that. He was it were a rider, obviously." And, uh, and he had bought this wonderful road glide specifically because he and his girlfriend wanted to go on a ride with Karen and I. Okay. And so we took a weekend and we rode from Riverside up to Santa Barbara and got an Airbnb up there. And then we went up to Solvang and, you know, did the whole loop around and so forth. And, uh, and then we rode it back. And then we parked that bike in the lobby and it sat there for four years. Has a total of 860 miles on it give you an idea. <laughs> and so he called me on Father's Day and we were talking about a couple of different things and he said, "You know, I'm we're moving the company and we're not going to put the the bikes in the lobby anymore." So um just uh thinking that, you know, and then he began to describe the bike. You know, I paid 25 grand for it and then I did $10,000 worth of work on it. I did all these customizations and all this stuff and and I'm going, "Okay, and I'm waiting for the number." Right. I know yeah. he's going to he was a sales guy. I know he's going to, you know, build this up and then he's going to pitch me a number and 
And since it was the bike I was looking to upgrade to anyway, uh, I thinking, you know, if he can get this thing in the 15 to 18 grand range, I'm all over it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he said, yeah, I'd like you to come pick it up. And I said, what do you mean? Come pick it up. He goes, yeah, it needs to be in your garage. I said, so you want me to store it for you? And he says, no, I want you to have it. Oh. And I said, wait, you're going to give me a $35,000 motorcycle. And he says, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. And oh. it is now proudly ensconced in my garage. We're still taking care of registration because the uh, title that he sent me was so beat up that uh, they, <laughs> the DMV wouldn't accept it. So we're getting a duplicate title to get it taken care of. But we now have, I, I took it, I had it delivered directly to my dealership. And they, uh, because it had been sitting for four years, right. they flushed all the fluids, including right. the gas tank and whatnot. Um, right. There was also an upgrade that took place. The oil pump had given the first year of the Milwaukee 8s. The oil right. pump, had, there'd been some problems with uh, the difference between oil and the primary and the transmission. And so they, uh, they had now gone through about four thing, four different oil pumps to get that right. So we went ahead to have that stuff done. So I've got, I got a couple of grand into this, but well worth it for a $35,000 motorcycle. Yeah, that's so. amazing. Wow. What a friend. That is, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm thinking. That is amazing. So are you going, are you, are you planning to do anything else to it? I mean, anything like luggage or, um, I think I'm going to no because it's already, it's already got a full tour pack and bags on it. So I don't okay. really need anything more than that. Uh, the only thing I think I will do to it is, uh, is do the pipes. They did some pipes on it, but I'm not real pleased with them. So I think I want to put either some Chrome works or some Reinhardt's on it. I think, right. uh, again, louder. Yeah. But really deeper and, you know, just a better, a better note to the exhaust. Yeah. You're an audio guy. So, uh, see, you know. there you go. Yeah. So, so I'm looking for something between 20 and 25 cycles. You know, that's what I, I want something <laughs> down there on the deep end that you can feel in the middle of your chest, you know? Right. Right. Well, well have, have you ever considered any other brand that, than, a, than a Harley? It's interesting you say that because when I bought the Road King. I mean, BMW, Gold Wings. Well, no, I, I haven't done that. Yeah, I, the, that's, that's, just, that's just too sophisticated for me, I think. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's, um, it's interesting because you and I both know John West. And, uh, and John, uh, do, or do you know John? I don't know if you know John West. John West, uh, he worked with us over at Speakercraft and, and whatnot for many years. And, and John's a very interesting guy, military guy and whatnot, and a Harley rider. Right. And uh, he bought a Goldwing, and he and his wife threw their leg over that bike and never looked back. Right. You know, it was like, you know, and so I'm almost afraid to own one because you know, now I'm, what, you know, am I really going to be wearing Honda t-shirts? I mean, come on, what are you, what are you saying? You know, it's, that's not going to work. So, but no, I did. I was, I was looking at, at the time when I bought the Harley and of course the Harley is very much like the Macintosh we were talking about. It's going to be more expensive for less of a bike. I mean, it's just, sorry, in most cases that tends to be the case. I'm not sure that it is. Okay. I mean, Harley have spent, hundreds of millions perhaps billions of dollars yes creating a motorcycle that looks like it looks like it comes from the 1930s <laughs> just, 
It's still, it still has a modified tractor engine, yes. <laughs> but in fact, they are as technically advanced as anything out there. So, Well, the interesting thing is, is that I was looking, at the time I was looking at one of the um, star motorcycles from Yamaha. Right. Uh, they had a model that was the w was called the Silverado, I think, which had, right. just like the Road King, clip-on windshield, bags, you know, the right. whole thing. And, uh, and I was in the store ready to buy it. I was in the Yamaha shop. And unfortunately for the Yamaha shop, the gentleman who was dealing with me treated me so poorly that I said, you know, A, if I do buy one of these, which I was ready. I mean, I was ready to put pen to paper. Right. Um, if I'm going to buy one of these, it won't be from you or your dealership. Right. And, he, and yeah. you know, he kind of arrogantly said, well, you're not going to find one like this anywhere, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And so we took off that day and ended up at a Harley dealership having the conversation. Now, this was interesting. Right. Because the ambiance in a Harley dealership is completely different than any other motorcycle dealership I've ever been into. There, there is something about, I mean, you see a lot more wood. You see a lot more, you know, rustic. You, you see a lot, I mean, for whatever reason, there is just a completely different environment then walking into your standard Japanese bike shop. And not to mention that a lot of the Japanese bike shops are multiple brands. Yeah. Where you'll have, you know, Kawasaki, Honda, and Suzuki all in the same, sure. you know, all in the same dealership. Um, sure. And then lines and lines of bikes, yeah. you know, kind of thing. It's it's just a completely, it's, it's almost like going to a car dealership where you walk out on the lot and there's all those rows of cars and away you go. Right. The Harley dealership, right. you walk in the front door and there is, there's just a, a feeling that is different. No, there, there, there really is. Actually, um, we went into uh, Ventura Harley-Davidson uh -huh. in Camarillo, which I'm sure you know well. Yes, absolutely. We went in there a couple of months ago, mm -hmm. and one of the sales guys came up. We were just kind of looking at the bikes. Sure. No intention of buying anything. Right. I mean, we were just curious. And one of the sales guys came over, and he was just chatting away. Yeah. And I kind of, for probably the first few minutes, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Right. I'm thinking any second he's going to start, you know, sort of, you know, waxing lyrical about this or pushing me onto that, and uh -huh. asking all sorts of leading questions <laughs> about where my interests lie. Right. You know, and, you know, he's probably sizing me up for credit worthiness. You know, he never did any of that. Right. It, it, he was just, he was just a dyed in the wool hardcore motorcycle guy right that just loved chatting about motorcycles and the lifestyle and the whole thing right we just kind of made friends with us and eventually we just sort of bid him a cheery farewell and right he was the nicest guy ever i mean i mean i did wonder if maybe his boss had seen him he then took him into his office for a rocket <laughs> and like, dude you've got to ask for the order at some point yeah. but but actually actually he was a nice, I couldn't believe it. I was actually very impressed. I thought, you know what, if I end up buying another Harley, I think I'll go back to this guy. Well, it's, it's an interesting thing that you, a point you make there, um, because so many of the people, first of all, salespeople selling bikes don't make a great deal of money. You know, it sounds, it sounds like a great idea. <laughs> and then you go in and you make, you know, 250 bucks a sale and you make four sales a week. Right. You know, I mean, yeah. Yeah, you, this is not, I'm going to get rich doing this. And there's some guys that are better. There are some guys that are real salespeople 
right. that have an entire database of people that they're constantly calling up and say, oh, we got the new, you know, 2000, uh, you know, 2022s in, do you want to come take a look at it? Oh, you're going to really be impressed by the new suspension upgrade or, you know, whatever. You've got guys like that. But right. the majority of them, they're people that love to ride. Right. They just don't. And they're, and they're in the showroom and they may make it or they may not make it in there. I mean, it's not, you know, it doesn't really matter at that right. point. The, the fact is, is that they're doing what they love at that moment. Yeah. And unfortunately, and I've seen people do this all the time, they want to get into an industry that they have a passion for. Right. And then they get into the industry and realize it's a job. And that beautiful bike that they would fawn over when they walked into the dealership just to look at them <laughs> is all of a sudden just another hunk of metal right. that they're trying to move out the door and get the financing on, you know, it's, <laughs> and so it becomes a different perspective at that point, but it does. No, actually the real reason for all oh, the reason for, for my question about considering other brands is not decrying Harley at all. I don't, it's not that mm -hmm. it's, it's more a case of, have you considered any kind of different sort of configuration? Like I say, a Goldwing is a flat six. Right. I mean, it is the smoothest. I mean, that thing is like riding a jet turbine. Oh, yes. So it's not it's not really about, you know, performance or, or, or other things. It's really just about sort of different configurations, different different ways of doing the same thing. Yamaha actually have their uh, their venture, which is a V4. Are they making that? Are they making that again? Uh, yeah, they still are. Yes. Yeah, they relaunched oh, they it a couple okay. of years ago, and it's uh -huh. it's a really really nice bike. I mean, all these bikes are really good. So I was a little more curious if you would just sort of if you considered switching configuration for want of a better word. Hey, you know, possibly it was interesting because I I fell in love with the uh, the Moto Guzzi. I'm not trying to persuade you, by the way. <laughs> no, no, no. That's and I have nothing against it. And there, you know, there was a point in time where people picked a a, a bike brand like they picked their political party. Right. And you know, that's what you're going to stay with. Or I'm an Angels fan, or I'm a Dodgers fan, and you know, you're not going to convince me either direction. Um, in most of the groups that I ride with, the brand of your bike is irrelevant. And if you want to, you know, in fact, if you want to be on a sport bike and ride with us, who cares? You know, you've got two wheels on the ground. We're thrilled to have you, right, right, right. you know, kind of thing. So there's there's no real looking down at that. For example, I, I thought I thought Victory did a spectacular job of building a motorcycle. I thought, you know, with all of their experience with snowmobiles and, and whatnot, that that they did a great job of that. Now, it was not my style. Um, I'm a huge fan of Arlen Ness, and I'd been up to his shop on a couple of occasions and got pictures taken with him and seen his, if you've been up there in, in Dublin, um, if you've been up and seen the museum of custom bikes that they've made, I mean, it's, it's incredible. Um, and they were big fans of Victory. They were working closely with Victory oh. and helping design, you know, some of the Victory bikes and whatnot. But most of the Victory bikes had such a space age look to them that they just no. didn't fit with me. I'm much more yeah. traditional. And so for me, that was kind of yeah. not now when they brought out right. the Indian and I took the Indian for a ride. And I think I remember watching, I remember watching a ride. Did you ride a, uh, a chieftain to Sturgis? I did. Yes. Yes. I remember watching that video of you doing that and you making the comment that it was one of the finest cruisers or, or touring bikes that you've ever, ever had ever ridden. It was really impressive. Yeah. I absolutely mm -hmm. loved it. Absolutely loved it. I was very close to one of those. We were we almost bought a Chieftain. In fact, I had my eye on the one that was like a turquoise blue and cream with the with the brown leather, you know, uh, seats and whatnot. Oh, beautiful! I know exactly. Yes, beautiful. Yeah, love love that bike, and it rides wonderful. Um, 
I never pulled the trigger on it. And it might have been at, the, at that time that I wasn't in need right. uh, of a bike necessarily in order to make that happen. But it, it's interesting because you make a good point. We don't buy motorcycles with our head. We buy them with our heart. Yes. It is a purely emotional purchase. Yep. I believe that is the case. There's a wonderful book called The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt that talks about that very principle. Right. That we make our decisions with our passions, our desires, and our emotions. And then we go back to our brain, which gives us reason, understanding, and judgment. <laughs> and, we, you, and we go find the data to back up the decision we've already made. <laughs> yes. so, so the first thing you do after you decide on your Harley is read every positive Harley post you can possibly read. Uh, because if you go looking for negatives, you'll find those too. Right. If, you, if you decide you don't want a Harley, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times, even on on many of the groups that I'm on, for example, on Facebook, where, you know, bikers and babes or, uh, you know, old Harleys or whatever, it's so funny to see, you know, the naysayers right. in the comments section of <laughs> right. various posts, you know, he goes, you know, or you could just buy a 1947 tractor. It's pretty much the same thing, probably, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it, it is, I've never seen a brand in any of the things that I do. You know, I grew up in the electronics field. I've never seen a brand in anything that I do that creates the loyalty that Harley Davidson does. Right. I mean, how many times do you see a guy with a tattoo that fills their entire back that says Honda? I mean, it just, <laughs> I'm sorry, it doesn't happen, you know? Yeah. So it's, uh, there's a, a huge loyalty to that. I will tell you, there is no question, you mentioned it being an audio guy, right? That the feel, and the sound of a big V-twin is very evocative. Is, there's just nothing like it. And not that there aren't other great V-twins, because every one of the major manufacturers has made a big V-twin. For sure. They never got the note right. They never got the exhaust note right. You know, I, yeah. I remember looking at the big 1600. Potato, potato, yeah. Yeah, and, and it, it's just not there. You know, it's just not there. So anyway. Yeah. So I have considered it. I've considered it. But again, I'd have to change my entire wardrobe. And, you know, I've got a lot invested there. So, yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Um, so did, did you come to motorcycles, you know, young or, or yes. is this a sort of a, a midlife crisis thing? Yeah, like a like a Husqvarna 125, you know, okay. when I was 14 years old. Um, the thing was beat to death and you had to do major maintenance before you took it out on every single ride, you know, right. and it would still abandon you in the middle of the hills and you'd have to, you know, push it down the hill kind of thing. Right. Um, and then I, I had a friend that had a 350 Honda. I remember being on that bike for the first time and thinking that it was lightning fast, you know, <laughs> after riding a little 125 two stroke, this 350 was a Oh my gosh, you know, you can ride this on the freeway, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, and then I went, the first new bike I ever bought actually was a 750 Yamaha Virago back in 1986. Oh, nice. Those were quite was nice. The, yeah, $2,600 is what it cost me brand new. Wow. Um, and it was a V-twin. Right. And I remember, I remember parking that bike at work the first day I rode it to work and thinking to myself, this is the first vehicle that I got to pick whatever vehicle I wanted and brought it home. And I just remember how excited I was about that. And uh, that was, uh, you know, I'd already ridden some 750s and whatnot. The, you know, the Honda 754 had a lot of pull. I mean, at, for the bike it was at the time, 
if oh, you didn't yeah. know what you were doing, you could get yourself in a lot of trouble. And it wasn't necessarily light. It was a pretty heavy bike at the time. So, right. you know, you could, you could really end up in some, in some problems, but uh, so I, yeah, I've been riding bikes forever. Um, I had a, uh, Honda Magna, which was a V4. Yeah. The, oh, the yeah. Honda Magna, the 700. It's had quite a cult following actually now, even. Though- oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I, a good friend of mine had one and we had identical bikes and we would go riding together. And I was out on a ride out of, I was living in San Clemente and I had ridden out to Joshua tree and we'd ridden, I mean, just a lot of places, a whole weekend together, um, about five of us. And, uh, I was worn out, put about a thousand miles on the bike and I was worn out and I was coming home. And, uh, in San Clemente where I lived, I could get off the freeway in Dana point and ride the last five miles to my house or whatever, uh, on Pacific coast highway. Right. And so that's what I did. And I came off the little loop around on the, at, at, uh, in Dana point and it dumps you out onto PCH and I'm like, and I'm probably doing 65 and a girl in a little Honda CRX made a U-turn in front of me oh. and froze. Uh, wow. she came across, a, an Island basically, you know, a two solid, you know, so she wasn't supposed to do it, but she froze right there and it was either hit her or go into oncoming traffic. And so I grabbed a handful foot full of brake. The bike finally started to go sideways and then it high sided and it pitched me and fortunately pitched me over her. So I went over the car, landed, flipped, wow. landed again and slid about, did you, did you stick the landing? Slid about a high, yeah, yeah, stuck it. All right. Um, <laughs> about probably a hundred yards, slid about a hundred yards on the ground. And, uh, it had, I had, a, I had, um, jeans on. I had leather tennis shoes on. I had a big padded denim jacket. I had a showy full face helmet. And as I slid, the helmet shaved all the way down to the fabric lining. So no question I would be dead if, you know, that hadn't been the case. So I'm sliding along and this is going on. And then the helmet caught and went like this and busted my collarbone. Didn't know that at the time. And uh, apparently, according to witnesses, I woke up in the middle of the road I stood up probably out of self-preservation instincts and I walked over to the curb and I like collapsed on the curb and I was out cold. And the first thing I remember was a guy trying to take my helmet off. He's talking to me. He goes, don't worry. We're getting your helmet off. We're getting your, and and I'm trying to tell him no, because I know that if my neck has a problem, you don't want to be yanking somebody's helmet off. But all I can say to him is like, like this he goes no i got it i got it and he pulls the helmet off my head comes all the way forward and then falls right back on the concrete whack and i'm out for another five minutes and so i wake up to the smelling salts from the emts that have shown up and they're talking to me hey can you move your toes can you move your fingers and i i said yeah they said do you think you can sit up i said yeah i think i can and i put my right hand down and pushed and the collarbone was broken. Oh. And so it went nerk like this. And I started to fall and he caught me. Thank you very much. He caught me on the way down yeah. and uh, said, uh, he, I, he said, what? And I said, clavicle. And he went, very good. <laughs> and so they put me on a board, took you to the hospital. I guess I, I guess I don't need to ask you what day it is. That's though. exactly. Well, that was what was funny is they said, do you know your name? No, no, have no idea. <laughs> Uh, do you know where you are? And I look around. Nope. No idea. Do you know where you live? Yeah. I live in San Clemente, different part of the brain. Apparently I live in San Clemente. He goes, Oh, you're only a couple of miles away. <laughs> he goes, that's good. We're going to take you to the hospital. So off I go to the hospital and, uh, and they treat you 
like you're a second-class citizen at that point. You've been in a bike rack at your own fault. And, uh, and the wire brush they were using to get the asphalt out of the road rash and stuff, it was a, a very, very painful experience. And I, I remember my wife showing up. Uh, well, first of all, I got a caller, right? I got, got, got a caller and teller. Right. And uh, so I said, can you get me a phone? This is pre-cell phone. Can you get me a phone? And I said, and they said, uh, no, we'll just tell her, give us your number and we'll call her. I said, no, you cannot call my wife and say, hi, I'm calling from the hospital. Your husband's okay. That's not going to fly here. So you got to get me a phone. So they found an extension. They got me a phone. I get on the phone and I said, hey, honey, um, I'm not going to make it home for uh, dinner and a movie tonight. And her first response, it gives you an idea of our relationship. Her first response is, are you in jail? <laughs> I said, no, I'm in the hospital. Bike went down. So she comes to the hospital and she's so funny because she walks in looking like an angel and she's sitting across from me. And this is just when Helga, the nurse from the Ukraine, uh, has decided to put the figure eight brace on, on me like this. And she goes, put your shoulders back. And I went, eh. And she goes, no, no put your shoulders back. And I go, eh. And she goes, oh, and she puts her head right in the middle of my back, grabs my shoulders and goes, yank. Like this. Oh. And my wife was sitting in front of me. She said, your eyes just like rolled up into your oh. head. You know? oh. <laughs> oh, with a broken collarbone. Oh, I yes. So now, now I get out of this thing, broken collarbone, four broken ribs, one through the lung. I mean, pretty bad go down. And, and certainly the worst go down I've ever had right. in my life. The rest of them were all, you know, a sand wash or something like yeah. that, where you just skidded and, and got a little road rash. Yeah. Um, but at that point, I did not, I did not again, uh, get on a motorcycle for the better part of 15 years, maybe. Wow. Okay. During that time. Um, I, at the time, my son was seven years old, and he used to ride on the back quite regularly. Right. And I'm thinking, what if? What if he'd been on the back? He'd been on the back. And that kind of you know swore me off a bit so when i got older when i when i got a little bit older and whatnot and uh and then had a couple of other bikes and then bought the harley and right and the love affair has continued ever since so yeah i mean I, there's a lot of young people that i think want to get on motorcycles nowadays yes and they either sort of aren't able to or haven't what what would be your advice to somebody that kind of wants to get on a bike nowadays take the course take a motorcycle riding course yeah have somebody, have a professional explain to you exactly what you're getting into. Um, most of them provide the bikes to ride in those courses, so you're not afraid. I mean, they, they go down and they go, that's okay. You know, yeah. that's the way that it works. I think that is probably the most critical. I never went through that as a kid, and I so wish that I had. Yeah. Yeah. I so wish that I had learned counter-steering. I so wish that I had learned um, how to look deep into a curve at where you're going instead of staring right in front of your front wheel and then trying to make adjustments, you know, right. and it's stupid, stupid things like that. You know, in those wonderful rides up to Lake Arrowhead and Big Bear and whatnot, the number of bikes that go off the road or end up in the guardrail or end up against the cliff yeah. because they just, they just underestimated the curve and didn't know how to take care of it. Didn't know that the worst place to break is when you're fully leaned into the curve, you know, it just, that kind of stuff. I, I, I think that would be my first thing. And the nice thing about that is you take the course and you find out whether or not you like riding. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of people that get on, get on the bike and, and ride it a little bit and go, you know what, this all sounded romantic to me. And I think that I thought, you know, the idea of it sounded fantastic, but frankly, the actual 
process isn't anywhere near as much. And I, I'll be the first to tell you, riding a bike to a destination takes a lot longer in your head than driving a car. Yeah. In a car, you are so relaxed. You're listening to music. You're eating chips and drinking a Coke and you're, you know, whatever. The time passes much more quickly, especially long rides, you know, five, 600 miles a day on a bike because of the exposure. You're, you're out there, you know, you're part of this and you've got to love that. And it's great to find that out before you put down great money on a bike. Now, those of us that ride greatly appreciate people that go out and put good money down on a bike and then park it in their garage for two years and then sell it cheap. I, you know, I, I'm all for those people. So if, if you're going to do that, that's great. But for most people, A, learn to ride and B, make sure you enjoy it. Yes, I, I, I'm glad you said that. Actually, one of my good friends um, owns a company called Total Control. Okay. It's a safety and control course. And he, his company now does, handles all of the MSF courses around the country. Oh, really? Great. And he has actually, and they've only been doing it a couple of years, but statistically, he has actually managed to reduce the death rate. That's wonderful. Um, it really is. He's managed to actually reverse the the, the trend, which mm -hmm. is um, quite an achievement. Um, they really. So I, I'm I'm glad you said that. Yeah, it's funny how I think we all sort of came to came to motorcycles. Right, Dave. I really appreciate your time. It's been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. Well, I hope I hope there's been something of interest in there someplace. I'm sure you can edit this down to two and a half minutes and, and you know, just pull out the nuggets that made sense. But uh, no, it's been an absolute pleasure. I, I'm not sure that there were many of them, to be honest with you. No, I don't think so. That's why I said if you but I'll do I'll do my best. I'll, I'll try and pull out what I can. If you can get two and a half minutes. <laughs> well, and and it's one of those things I I identify. It's a lousy word to use today, but I identify as a biker, as a as a motorcyclist. It is a it is a key focus of my existence. And it's not that, I mean, I've got 12 kids. I've got, you know, lots of other things. I, you're, you're looking at me right now and I'm in my recording studio because I do music and voiceover work and that kind of stuff. So um, with all of that, with all of that being the case, if you wanted to know, if somebody said, well, what are you exactly? I'd say I'm a biker. That's, that's what I am. And it, it is an integral part of my life. And it has brought my wife and I such an incredible opportunity for joy in different situations and experiences, um, especially at this age, especially at this age, riding a bike that's comfortable, riding a bike that we don't have a problem putting 500 miles on in a day if we want to. Uh, it, is, it is an absolute wonderful experience, and I recommend it to anybody who hasn't, who hasn't really had the opportunity. Um, because it is it is a completely different experience, like you said, even different than driving in a convertible. It, it really is. I I fully concur. And and as you sort of touched on, you you can do that sort of very spur of the moment uh, because it's just sitting yes. there, and you can be like, huh, you know what? Let's go for a ride. And you and ten minutes later, you're riding. Yes. And and just experiencing life. Right. And even if it's just across town to get dinner. Yeah. And come back. Um. You know. And. And here in Arizona, uh, in the summertime, um, not only do you get the ride in, but you also uh, get a full tan in that time, <laughs> in the 10 minutes that you're on the bike. So it's, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's either that or stand in front of a hairdryer for 10 minutes. Yeah. There you yeah, go. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I'm melting, melting. Yes, exactly. <laughs>
Arthur, this has been an absolute pleasure, my friend. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, as always, as I knew it would be. We'll definitely have to head out to Arizona and we'll go for a ride, Dave, for sure. Please do. Wait until it cools off. Okay. If you would, please. All right. I, I mean, the pool is 90 degrees right now. You can't even get, you know, any respite there. So, but uh, look forward to seeing you in the fall, my friend. All right. Thanks, Dave. Hey, I really appreciate it. All right. You got it. Bye now. All right. Bye.